Listen for God's word to you. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I brought my Bible today. So hopefully I won't get too lost. Today we're going to talk about false prophecy. Um, and um, it may not surprise you to hear that um, both Christianity and uh, the, the Judaism that Christianity grew out of oppose false prophecy. Um, you heard in the passage from Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel the the non-false prophet is denouncing false prophets who are basically saying it's okay what the leaders are doing, all these ways they're oppressing people, that's okay, God God is in favor of that. And so so he's saying um, they are just as wrong as the ones who are actually doing the oppression because they're providing cover, they're providing a theological cover for that. So so Christianity is opposed to false prophecy and so does Judaism. But um but uh, maybe not in the way you think. I think, uh, at least for myself and maybe for you too, um, you may have a, a kind of a pop culture informed idea of what what that means, how Christianity and how Judaism uh, think about false prophecy, and, and you know, kind of the pictures that come to my mind are witch hunts and inquisitions. Um, that you know, the the idea is to go out and find the the false prophet, you know, and and string them up or do worse to them. So I think that our pop culture kind of um, conveys that. And I think what we'll see in our reading today is that that is not um, an authentic expression of Christianity. And and I'm not going to try and convince you by my own words, but we're going to actually look at what Jesus says, and, and we'll use him as the judge of, of what is and is not authentic Christianity. Um, but we'll also see the way Jesus teaches us the ways that we can exist in a world that does have false prophecy in it. And uh, maybe that's the place we need to begin, is to say, well, do we in fact actually have false prophecy in our world today. Is this really a problem? So, um, so uh, it, is, it is a problem, um, and uh, let me give you an example of how. Uh, this, this fellow right here, David Mead, has anyone heard of David Mead? The correct answer is no, because hopefully he labors in obscurity, but unfortunately he does, he does um, wind up in the news periodically. Um, last last uh, fall, he said that the world would end on um, September 23rd. He calls himself a Christian um, numerologist, which I didn't know, we didn't. There wasn't a discipline like that in seminary, but but um, maybe at his school they they had that. So he is a numerologist. He uh, says he has really part of the problem is this is a pseudonym. We don't really know who David Mead is, right? Um, so that kind of maybe tips you off right off the the bat that you know I don't know how much faith to give this guy. But but David Mead says that his study his his study in astronomy and Christian numerology convinced him. Uh, that the world would end last September, on the 23rd of September of last year. Well, it didn't happen. Well, he did not slink off into obscurity. Rather, in April, 
he came back with a whole new way that the world was going to end uh, just a couple of months ago. And of course, uh, we're still here, so it didn't end in April either. So yes, there still are false prophets out there. And what's really frustrating to me is, look, there's plenty of people uh, who are acting foolish in the name of Jesus. But I wish the news media wouldn't keep coming back to the same ones. I mean, spread it around a little bit. There's, there's plenty of plenty of people doing dumb things in the name of Jesus. Uh, so why keep coming back to the same guy? So um, Ed Stetzer, who's a professor at uh, Whedon University in Illinois, he said that David Mead is a fake expert in a fake field uh, who is proclaiming another fake event. And I think that pretty well summarizes him. But but maybe in a way Christian um, uh, false prophets are easier to to kind of chuckle at, maybe roll your eyes and say, what a kook, you know, who would ever pay attention to somebody like that? Well, maybe that's the way we perceive them. But but remember, Jesus talked about, um, he said He said in the passage, he said, uh, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. Um, and so I want to talk about um, what, what false prophecy looks like in a secular age. You know, in Jesus' world, everybody believed in a god, or maybe a lot of gods. Uh, the Romans did, the Greeks did, the Jews did. The only question was who, right? Who is the false prophecy coming from? But we live in a secular age. Um, today, today, false prophecy doesn't come from a god, or at least not a god by name, but it comes usually in the form of science. And I have to begin by saying I'm not preaching against science. I mean, if you were here last week, I love science. I love to put science and faith in conversation. I think that that's really just really awesome. So I'm not preaching against science, but I will tell you, I think a lot of false prophecy in a secular age comes under the guise of science. And I want to give you an example. Has anyone read this book, The Population Bomb by Paul Ehrlich? Okay, so one hand went up. Okay, so Paul Ehrlich published this book in 1968. Paul Ehrlich is a professor, or was, I don't know what he, um, if he's like an emeritus now or something, but in 1968, he was a biologist at Stanford University, and he published a book called The Population Bomb. And he said, um, uh, I'm going to try and get this right, he said, the battle to... Feed humanity is over. That's the opening sentence of his book. The battle to feed humanity is over. That basically, we're all doomed. He predicted hundreds of millions of deaths in the 1970s and 65 million deaths in America alone. So he was saying there would be a worldwide global catastrophe due to population pressure. Well, he was wrong. Um, Some of you were here a couple of weeks ago. We saw this graph um, this is one of the most amazing graphs you never see, um, except I love science, so I, I show it to you. Um, it, is, it is a graph of human, um, uh, human achievement in one particular area, the area of uh, absolute poverty. So we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. The, the green bar, or the green area, is the population of the planet over time. So you can see uh, the, yellow, the yellow vertical stripe is when, when Paul, um, uh, Paul Ehrlich wrote his book, The Population Bomb. And he said, the population of the world, 3.6 billion people, the world is at the breaking point, it's going to collapse. Well, in fact, what's happened is the world has gone on, Um, uh, population has continued to climb, we're now at almost double of what it was when he wrote that book, right, about 7 billion people today. So the world has actually continued to grow, but things did not get worse, and in fact, by every measure we can find, things have gotten better. The red area is the number of people who live in absolute poverty. Yesterday, 137,000 people were lifted out of extreme poverty. Okay, And the same thing happened on Friday and on Thursday and every day for the last 25 years. 
Paul Ehrlich was wrong. And it doesn't matter whether you look at extreme poverty or education, access to health care, uh, nutrition. In every metric that we can look at, things have actually been getting better. doesn't mean we live in heaven, but it means the trends are in the right direction. Paul Ehrlich said everything was going to collapse. It was all going to, to give, you know, uh, end, in, end in flames. He was wrong. He was a secular false prophet. And he influenced, uh, uh, you know, those of you who didn't live through the 70s, you know, you know, lucky you, because we had movies like Silent Running and um, uh, The Omega Man. We had, we had a terrible dystopian future in the 1970s. We had disco and, you know, uh, leisure suits. I mean, it was, it was a dark time. Uh, and fortunately, we've, we've missed out on that because, because all the bad things that, that people predicted didn't come to pass. So we don't have to wear leisure suits either anymore either. But but my point is that there are still false prophets, um, and they typically come to us today not in a uh, in, in the guise of being religious. Occasionally we get a, a David Mead, but not often. Um, occasionally we do. But we get plenty of people who say, here's, here's the word. Here's the word from on high, and the word is from science, and you better watch out because, um, you know, people are going to start dying all around you. So what do we do with false prophets? They exist, and I think that they will continue to exist, but as Jesus said, they will shapeshift. Sometimes they'll be religious, and sometimes they'll be secular. Um, whatever makes them more effective in their age. So what do we do about false prophets? Well, I said Christianity is opposed to false prophecy, so does Judaism, um, but maybe not in the way you think of. Again, if your mind goes to you know witch hunts and inquisitions, Christianity is actually surprisingly tolerant. So I want to I want to look at um, that. So I want to see what Jesus has to teach us. But first, I want to talk about the Judaic context, where Jesus is coming from. So what is what is it that Jesus and his audience would have understood to be the right thing to do with false prophets? Well, um, they say anyone who uh, they they would return they would turn to the Deuteron- Deuteronomic law, the uh, Hebrew scriptures has a book in it called Deuteronomy, and they would have turned to Deuteronomy and they said, this tells us what to do with a false prophet. Any prophet who falsely claims to speak in my name or who speaks in the name of another God must die. So capital punishment. And you may be saying, well, that doesn't sound very tolerant, right? That that if, if we're going to have um, uh, extreme punishment for false prophecy, um, that doesn't sound very tolerant. But the test of a false prophet is where the tolerance comes in. The test is this. Uh, the, the, uh, Moses asked the question, you may wonder, how will we know whether or not a prophet, a prophecy is from the Lord? And here is the answer. If the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will know the Lord did not give that message. In other words, put down your stone. You can't stone him yet. You have to wait till September 23rd and see if the world is still here, right? And, and you, you know, you, you say, well, that still doesn't sound very tolerant. Well, let's try it, okay? How many of you are on social media? Okay, so I think it's about 70% of the public in our country today is on, is on social media. How, how, many, how do you react when somebody posts something on Facebook you don't like, right? You know, you, you sit there hunting for the don't like button, and there isn't one. There's just various flavors of response, but you know, it makes me angry, it makes me happy. But I can't say you're an idiot. And we all know that feeling. It's where is that button? I disagree profoundly with what this person just posted. We don't want to wait. 
you know, we don't like the idea of waiting to see whether it happens because basically we're not tolerant. We disagree with that person. What they posted is so stupid, I can't believe anybody would ever get away with posting that. And if only there was a dislike button or better yet, a stone false prophet button. (laughs) But Deuteronomy, 3,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, more than 3,000 years ago, Moses says in Deuteronomy, don't do that. Put the stone down. Just wait. Let's see what happens. So that's the context that Jesus is operating out. He says, don't rush to judgment. That's, that's kind of the background that people are operating from. And in fact, Deuteronomy is even maybe a little bit more, more fuzzy than that because it seems to be arguing with itself because, um, just a couple of verses earlier, it said the prophet must be put to death. But then after saying, if the pro, if what the prophet said doesn't come to pass, then the prophet is spoken without my authority and need not be feared. You know, it's like, which is it? Should I fear this person or should I stone them to death? Deuteronomy seems to be kind of unclear. And I would love to take a time machine, go back to, you know, 3500 BC and see how did this actually happen on the ground? What actually happened? Um, my guess is they ignored it and they did what they wanted because, you know, that's, that's what we do, right? You know, we know what the rules are, but when we're really riled up, we don't always obey them. So Deuteronomy is saying, is saying, yes, there is a death penalty for false prophecy. But the test is so hard that it becomes very difficult to implement it. So that's the society that, that Jesus is operating in, except for one thing. For the previous five centuries, by the time Jesus comes on the scene, for the previous five centuries, the religious and civil authorities have been separated. At the time of Jesus, the Romans ran things in the civil government. So there was a religious government, but there was also a civil government. And that had happened for the previous couple of uh, centuries because uh, first the, the Babylonians conquered Israel, then, then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and finally the Romans. So they had been uh, occupied by different powers for the last five centuries, and they're not running their own country anymore. And in fact, you may remember from the story of Jesus' own death, the, the religious authorities, they disliked Jesus because of what they thought he was saying about their religion. But they knew they could not execute him because that was not their authority. So they had to take him to the Roman government and they had to say, this guy's causing you trouble. And they trumped up some charges about how he was, he was uh, claiming to be a new king or something like that. So um, by the time Jesus is on the scene, it's been five centuries since, they, since the religious authority had any ability to impose the death penalty on people. It was strictly a civil, a civil affair. So by Jesus' time... Um, that's not that's not even a, on the table. You have to wait, and even when you do wait, you can't you can't stone the prophet. So, what should we do? Well, Jesus says, "Beware." That's not nearly as strong as stone the prophet. Jesus says, "Beware." He says, "Look out for false prophets who come to you disguised as wolves." And I think, in particular, in the context of Jesus' greater ministry, when you think of the way he says, let the one who is without sin among you cast the first stone, I think Jesus is saying, you know, penalties are a whole separate issue, and really we need to talk about penalties separately. But he is saying, watch out. Watch out for false prophets, because there's always going to be false prophets. Now, maybe I sound like I'm soft-pedaling Jesus a little bit too much, making him too too modern and too too relaxed about these things, because he does say that business about fire in there. So let's take a look at what he says about fire. He says 
Every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. And again, filtered through, you know, kind of our, our medieval picture of Dante and Milton, you know, all those, you know, caverns filled with fire and stuff like that. We may, we may perceive that one way. But let me ask you this. How many of you have ever put a log in a fire? Come on, this is Alaska. Okay, I mean, right. Okay. So, did you do it to punish the log? Right? I mean, just common sense. That's not the reason most logs wind up in fire. I mean, maybe once in a while I really don't like this log, right? (laughs) But mostly when somebody says, I'm going to put a log in the fire, it's because they want to warm up a room or they want to cook something or they just want to clear it out, right? You know, I'm clearing this, this acreage and I need to get rid of the logs, right? And I think the Bible is very ambiguous on the subject of, you know, those flames. You know, when, whenever you read the Bible and you see something about fire and perdition and stuff like that, read it carefully and try to understand how much of this is coming out of me and how much of it is coming off the page. Because I think a lot of the time we filter the Bible through our own preconceived ideas. And I think the Bible is very ambiguous about those flames. There are certainly some passages that, that seem to suggest that there are eternal flames. But there's a lot of passages like this where you don't put a log in the fire to punish it. You put a log in the fire because it's not useful, it's not helpful, and you need to get rid of it. So I think what Jesus is saying in this passage in particular is he's saying, he's saying in the coming kingdom, the kingdom that he came to proclaim, there will be no more false prophets. That false prophecy is ultimately a diseased tree, and that tree will be put in the fire, and it will be consumed, and that will be the end of it. So I think Jesus is saying, beware, certainly, but he's certainly not telling us that it's up to us to put the log in the fire. You notice what he says. He uses this passive voice. He says, every tree gets chopped down and is put into the fire. He doesn't say, chop it down. And he doesn't say, you put it in the fire. He uses the divine passive. He says, God will take care of this in God's own time. God has a plan for what to do with false prophets. So even if he is saying eternal torment, he's saying, it's not up to you. Put down the stone. We're not going to stone the prophet. Jesus simply says, beware. Beware of the false prophet. So, that brings us back to fruit. What about the fruit? What is fruit? Well, our translation is maybe helpful too much. Um, Our translation tells us what it is. Um, It says you can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Um, It tells us that they're actions. So so right there it says um, you can identify them by verse 16. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Well, that's our translation, and the reason that it says that is because this translation is a New Living Translation, and they're trying to make it an accessible translation that's not written like the King James Bible has a has a reading level of like 13 years of, of primary education or something like that. So it's a huge book and it's hard to read. Um, so they, they translate it that way. But if you go to like our Pew Bible, which is a more literal translation, it simply says that you will know them by your fruits. And then it's up to you to figure out what those fruits are. Um, same thing at the end of the passage. Our translation here says, yes, you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can, and so you can identify people by their actions. But again, the Pew Bible, other translations that are more literal, simply leave it with fruit. They say, thus you will know them by their, by their fruits. So what are fruits? Well, I think at a minimum, they are what the Deuteronomist said. They are, does it happen? Right? Does it come to fruition? 
Does the thing that was predicted actually happen? No, uh, there weren't food riots in the 1970s, and hundreds of millions of people didn't die around the world because of starvation. It did not come to pass. So fruit may simply mean, it may just be Jesus' way of saying that it's what, what we've always been talking about, the, the simple test of wait and see. But maybe it is actions. Maybe it is actions. And I think where this is the most difficult, you know, if, if, a, if a Christian says, God called me up on the phone last night and said, I need a Gulf Stream. And so would you please give generously to fulfill this prophecy that I will have a Gulf Stream? We might say, you know what? I don't think you're living your faith, right? So we might say, okay, your actions betray you as a false prophet. I'm a little uncomfortable because Jesus has just told us earlier in this chapter, he says, do not judge. And it's very hard to pick those two apart, right? Because I start saying, oh, I'm judging that guy, right? Um, I am so totally judging that guy because I think he's a fake, right? And it's very hard to peel those two apart. But if it's hard for religious people, you know, when you're saying he's not living like a religious person, right? He's got too much swank, too much swag. He's, he's not plausible as a religious person. It's even harder with a population biologist from Stanford. How do I know what the right actions are for a population biologist for, from Stanford, right? I wouldn't know what actions to judge a secular prophet by. So what do we do? How do we judge the fruit? Um, is it, does it mean anything more than that? I think, I think I, we can say it in this way. I think we can say, if somebody is evidently disordered, then you probably don't want to follow them. You know, if you know somebody whose politics agree with yours right down the path, you're convinced the world is going to end in, in you know, food riots, but they are also a white supremacist. You would say, you know, no, I'm just not going to go there. This guy's got something wrong upstairs, and I don't know how compelling his story is about population genetics, but I'm just not going to buy it. Right? So maybe you can judge them by their actions in that sense. I mean, if you wouldn't let them babysit your children, maybe you don't want them setting public policy. Right? So, so, you know, maybe in that sense you can do it, but it's very hard not to judge, not to judge someone. So we wind up back at the place we were at. Jesus says, judge by the fruit. And the only fruit we can be sure of is the one that Deuteronomist proposed 3,000 years earlier, which is, does it come to pass? So, what do you do about that guy on Facebook who is so evidently wrong? You wait. What do you do about all the secular prophets and all the religious prophets? You wait and see. You don't stone them. You don't cast them out into darkness. If that will ever happen, that's up to God. All we have to do is to beware. Don't hitch our lives to their wagon. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us teaching that lets us be calm and tolerant when the nature of false prophecy is to get us excited to to buffalo us into moving quickly we thank you for a toleration that begins in the book of deuteronomy and extends through the words of jesus help us to be tolerant help us to let people have the freedom to make mistakes and as we heard in the second book of peter today to learn from them and correct them and lord we pray that you would help us to see rightly We pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.